Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Before we get started with today's Hockey PDO cast, I want to give some quick love to our sponsor, SeatGeek. If you've never used it before, it's as good a time as any to start considering the playoff season is just around the corner. SeatGeek is a service which makes buying and selling tickets easier than it's ever been before. They pull all the tickets available on other sites into one handy location for you, even going so far as to ensure that you're getting optimal value by alerting you once the prices fall. The best part of it all is that they don't try to sneak in those random fees at the checkout, which means that you know exactly what you're paying for when you're choosing your tickets. SeatGeek's providing my listeners with a $20 rebate off their first purchase today, and all you've got to do is follow a few easy steps. Just download the free SeatGeek app, then go to the Settings tab and click Add a Promo Code and type in PDO. Once you've done that, SeatGeek will send you your $20 rebate. Download the free SeatGeek app, enter the promo code PDO, and you could start saving yourself a bunch of time, effort, and money as you get your hands on whichever tickets your heart desires today. Regressing to the mean since 2015, it's the Hockey PDO Cast with your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO Cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining me is Seth Partnow. Uh, he's the managing editor of the Nylon Calculus, and it wouldn't be a... I know the Hockey PDO Cast listeners love it when we talk about basketball and kind of uh, bridge the two sports together, so uh, it, it was just a natural thing to get Seth on. Seth, how's it going, man? Good. Uh, hopefully, we're not actually going to talk about much basketball. Yes, because uh, yeah. that would be bad for your listeners, and also not specifically about much hockey, just because that would kind of expose me <laughs> a little bit. Um, as the, the the few times I've I've ventured into even opining slightly on hockey, I've uh, Travis in particular uh, gave me a good scolding. Hmm. Uh, few months ago yes well let's yeah so we're going to keep the conversation kind of more generalized and I, I guess maybe do like a little bit of a kind of compare and contrast or just i think there's a lot to take from uh the steps and strides basketball's taken in terms of um adding different approaches to analysis and kind of helping understand the game uh at a higher level that hockey could definitely take notes from so i think that we can kind of discuss that and just and just see where we get, go from there Sure. It's also, I think, part of the reason that I'm, I'm sort of we we've be, become connected and kind of follow each other and, and converse about stuff is that I'm actually very interested in the approaches that hockey is taking to solving problems too because um, you know some of the difficulties that that hockey has that basketball can maybe solve. Uh, the reverse is also true. That kind of the the uh, you know the the flow aspect of hockey is there's more 
of that in basketball than is necessarily acknowledged in kind of the possession by possession analysis. Right. And so there's, there's interesting things that can be learned and applied to kind of basketball analysis by, from, you know, flow type sports like, like, you know, soccer and hockey. Yeah. So it's, I think it's more of a two way street rather than just like what, uh, what, what you, what we can, we can teach you (laughs) or anything like that. (laughs) Right. So, okay. So I, I guess this is a good starting point because this is something I've been thinking about ever since we did kind of start talking. And, and I mentioned this with Eric Parnas when I had him on last week where we were discussing what happened at the Sloan analytics conference and kind of some of the discussions that happened there. And, and uh, you can answer this better for me, I guess, but how far ahead do you think basketball is ahead of hockey in this regard because obviously like baseball for example is sort of the bedrock of of the analytics movement and and it's what we point to and go like okay they're like probably like 10 15 years ahead of us at this point like how far do you would you estimate the basketball is at by at this point in time so there's kind of there's two answers here one is kind of the the understanding the 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 detail of understanding that's possible with current data Mm -hmm. Um, I think that as you guys, you know, talked about, um, the, the, the tracking information is, is just a a quantum leap forward that basketball has that, that hockey really doesn't yet. And that's on top of the fact that kind of the basic box score of, of a basketball game, you know, captures more, um, captures more of what's actually happened in the game, Mm -hmm. I think. Yes. Than than you even kind of you know lineup based and you know shot differential stuff does in hockey. Um, so on one hand, that's it's that's a big difference. On the other, I think that that and I was actually wanted. To, I'm glad you brought it up because I you know when I was listening to that uh, that podcast, I think that that um, part of the difference is just the perception based on almost a different media environment. Mm. Um, it's you know. Hockey is still very old school enough that expressing kind of scorn to analytics is, and you know that's I, that's a term we could we should probably get away from at some point. Yes, but it is yeah. it's, it's the kind one of an easy produced. kind of catch all yeah. thing that everyone will understand, yeah. right? Rather than going into a full two sentence right. description of what it actually is, right? Yeah. Um, but I think it's it's much more acceptable to whether in the media or you know on the team level to be openly scornful of it in mm-hmm. hockey whereas um regardless of someone's private opinions on the usefulness um i mean you look at what happens every time you know charles barkley uh goes on an anti-analytics rant right. and just you know there's 75 think pieces the next day about how he's you know old man yells at cloud and so um that gives the appearance perhaps that it's filtered into actual decision making perhaps more than it actually has yeah if that it's well, it's it's not acceptable to to no oh, that stuff is useless how much teams are actually you know doing of it that would be recognized as kind of advanced stats work uh, beyond kind of uh what had traditionally been done um that's that varies pretty widely across the league i'd say okay well let's put a pin in that in the discussion on a team level because i do want to kind of unpack that a little bit but more so the reason why i asked about sort of the landscape for basketball is because this is something that 
I saw the writing on the wall for in hockey and it's sort of coming to fruition and I don't want to you know be sounding like sour grapes or complaining too much but like when this movement started to happen in hockey and people realized that this was going to be the future and and people started getting jobs with teams and and media members mainstream media members were paying more attention to it and kind of shining a light on it and and actually listening to the conversation that was being had I I worried that more casual fans would start getting into it, which is a good thing. I definitely want to kind of help spread the message and get more people interested in it, and it'll lead to more thoughtful conversations between everyone. But the the issue is that people can start really misusing it and misapplying the information and then it winds up kind of coming back on the entire sort of genre as opposed to no one says oh this person's like particular use of it was wrong it goes oh the the numbers are stupid look how wrong they were here and and it's it's the thing i go back to where it's like the numbers themselves don't necessarily lie it's probably the person that is using them is using them incorrectly and that 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 just kind of grinds my gears no, I, I agree with that. And I think some of that just has to do with, with you know, the lack of, of good input data almost. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that, you know, uh, shot differential stats, your, your Corsi and what have you, I think those are are useful first passes. The problem is, and I'm, you know, if, if you know, you, it's probably every two weeks that I go on kind of a, a one-number metric rant mm-hmm. uh, of some sort about basketball, is in terms of, of a of application, um, just having that number and not having any sort of statistical vocabulary to, to talk about why, you know, why a player is, you know, driving possession or, right. or creating um, a shot differential or what, whatever. Um, that makes it really hard to actually talk about it in, in, in hockey terms, mm-hmm. in, in sports specific terms. And, you know, coming to it where we had kind of the, the box score stats as um, limited as they were. And as, as uh, you could, you we kind of had a vocabulary for talking about, you know, scoring efficiency and rebounding and, and, and playmaking and those kind of things and all that those have gotten better. Mm. But when you're talking about someone's, whether it's, you know, a, a kind of a, a, a not evaluative, uh, evaluatively great stat like PER right. or a stat that can maybe tell you something uh, more in depth, though it, it's very prone to misuse, like a like an adjusted plus minus type metric. Um, we can at least theorize or even get more specific as to all right, what is this player doing that is is uh, is helping, is causing yes. these, these positive out, out, outcomes, and that's so that actually leads to a question I had for you mm-hmm. um, is how predictive are kind of uh, is, is a, is a Corsi stat or, you know, I know people have done some kind of teammate adjusted uh, numbers and stuff like that. Um, how predictive are those in, when a guy changes teams, changes, uh, changes roles? Uh, I think, something like that. I think it's, it, it is very context based. You, you have to account for that. It's not, you can't just take a guy that is, uh, like a 55% possession player, for example, on one team on, on one, in one circumstance and just kind of pluck him from that and put him anywhere. And all of a sudden he's going to keep doing that, right? Like it, it is a very team based sport and, and a lot of things usage can, can affect how that player is going to perform. And we need to keep that in mind. But I think the, the important distinction there that you make is the predictability of it because sometimes people can uh, 
misuse uh, data, just misapplying it in the sense that sometimes things are more descriptive in terms of what's actually happened as opposed to predictive of what's going to happen. And I think that those lines can be blurred sometimes where there is use for saying like this happened, even if a guy was riding a really high shooting percentage and it's probably not likely to continue as long as you understand that that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to keep happening moving forward. So I think that uh, possession stats are are still honestly the best thing we have like as crude as, as they may be just because um, the da- the sample size for it accumulates so much over time that it provides us with a better picture of what's going to happen. Now there's certain wrinkles to that and I think that the tracking data itself will help us in, at least in the descriptive department kind of figure out what leads to better possession numbers and what what can kind of wh- how you can manipulate certain outputs to create that inputs to create that better output and i think that that's where hockey is going to be headed but unfortunately that could be years down the road from now like i don't think it's imminent by any means and that's i think that's unfortunate because i was think um i was listening to the i think your most recent episode with uh with uh uh, mike johnson Mm -hmm. right and and talking about how um you know phil kessel performs better when he's you know he's the centerpiece of a of 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 a unit on the floor as opposed to if he's playing alongside a guy who wants the puck more right. and not even having the the almost like i said the statistical vocabulary to start to describe those kind of roles mm-hmm. um for that 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 can lead to some blind spots in itself i like i have no reason to doubt that that now that sounds perfectly plausible to me mm-hmm. but without actually knowing well does he do this more often when he's playing with those guys or that's that something i just saw the one time or you know and just so being able to even describe those roles um yeah and 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 here's here's another example of that where uh, at the trade deadline uh chris russell was traded from from calgary to dallas and a lot of people were kind of confused they were like dallas seems like a pretty progressive organization why would they trade premium assets for this guy that is just getting completely caved in at five on five and whenever he's on the ice he's blocking a lot of shots but that's because his team never has the puck like why would why would dallas do that and and elliot friedman was one of the few people that was going hmm uh the people i've talked to in the dallas organization were kind of hinting or insinuating that they had looked into some tracking data like for his for example his zone exit numbers and and said that we can kind of manipulate this to uh, make him an overall better player and I I think there is something to that I I wouldn't necessarily kind of uh, you know stake that claim to Chris Russell because I don't think he's a very good player but I think that you can as long as you view it from the prism of zone exits and zone entries and all those things and neutral zone play are all these various inputs and the output is the possession and the goal differentials and that's where you want to be right like the whole point of all this is you want to find out the best way to predict uh at the end of the day who's going to score more goals and win more games and i think there are uh there's like minutiae there involved where we can tinker with it a little bit to adjust and get a better result the problem is uh it's we're still in the infancy stage where we don't necessarily know uh how much predictive value all that stuff has and it might be a total dead end but that doesn't mean it's not something worth exploring right and i think that that this is why um in many ways, a lot of this is where basketball was, you know, circa 2003 before the sport view 
kind of came around when, you know, the, the kind of the quote cutting edge was about, you know, more finely tuning a, an RAPM model. And that's, you know, you're, you're eking just, you know, tiny percentage points of, of this, this kind of hybrid of descriptive and, and predictive statistic. And, 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 you know, I, I say it's a hybrid because, you know, if, if, if the team kind of, if a player kind of stays in a similar role, it, it does have a, a decent amount of, a pretty good amount of predictive power. But mm-hmm. as soon as you kind of change that, that context, then it kind of, it, it almost goes out the window. Um, I, I, uh, I, I did back when I did my own podcast, I talked with a, with a, uh, a, a pseudonymous, uh, kind of blogging type who named talking practice, who's mm-hmm. a, a, f- a fairly big in the NBA gambling world. And he, and he kind of talked about how, you know, when a player changes teams or changes context, they basically, they throw their number out. Right. Um, when, 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 when dealing with the guy, just because they don't think that it, it they think it's more likely to confuse them than, than, uh, uh, th- then provide meaningful information. Right. So, and that's, and that's a lot of where, um, you guys are. And that's, that's actually useful because that, that that's the kind of thing that, uh, if you have that kind of a baseline as you, um, you know, develop the, the vocabulary to talk about, you know, in a, in a uh, holistic kind of league wide way, you talk about like, you know, whether it's, you know, zone entries or exits or, Mm -hmm. you know, passing completion or, or time of possession or, you know, if, you know, obviously a lot of the stuff you do do is focused on five on five, but even, you know, you talk about like, um, space created or, or occupied on like a power play or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, you can, if you, when you start to develop that, you can, you can tie it back to this kind of one number and kind of, get a better sense for the value of, of these things that, that, that you're, you're starting to work with. And it kind of, and then that goes back and you can build that, you can kind of bootstrap that back into the, to the overall number and kind of iteratively more finely tune it that way. But that's, so having that baseline is useful, but it's, it's, I think it, it, having that only that is probably a big obstacle to the more widespread adoption, I think. Well, so in in the NBA world, like, would you say that every team is sort of looking into this stuff? At least, like, it's tough to say how much they're actually giving, like, how much when they're making any personnel decisions, whether it be in free agency or trades or during the draft, like, whether they're actually weighing it very heavily in their decision-making or not, or whether they're kind of considering it, but ultimately going with more of a gut feel instead. Like, for example, I know the, the Houston Rockets are obviously kind of all in on it, and they're the poster team for it, and, and the Philadelphia Sixers, 76ers are also uh, very well-versed in it. But, uh, like, are there still certain teams that are just like completely fighting against it and, and still stuck in the old ways? Um, well, first of all, the old, the old ways, I mean, again, this is uh, a result of there just being more kind of numbers involved. I mean, you know, the triple double, the double, double guy, you know, averaging two blocks a game. These are all things that have been around mm-hmm. now. I don't think anyone would, would describe those as, you know, analytics really looking to that kind of, those kind of uh, measures, but that's been stuff that people have been aware of and making decisions on in basketball for 60 years. I mean, so um, it's a, it's not a binary yes, no, but in terms of teams that are 
using what we would probably recognize as more quote unquote, and I don't love this term either, but it's useful shorthand still, I guess, is more advanced metrics. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, a a widespread just in terms of of you know the 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 amount they are listening to the number of people they employ uh the systems they use um you know just in terms of the sport view data which is available to you know every team um you know it's probably you can probably break the league down into thirds that that 10 and um that the 10 that use it the most if you look at the standings you'll probably see you know eight of them in the top 10 records in the league right. um and, uh, but that's i i think that's a it's it's not a cause and effect thing. It's just those teams are otherwise smart, and so they also know the value of looking at that stuff. Right. Um, ten teams that use it some, and ten that you know don't really know what to do with it at all yet. Well, I think um, I think the thing the, I don't know the the thing where basketball is so much ahead of the game in this regard is that you can really kind of distinctly separate the two ends of the of the floor right so you can you can look about the offensive end and then you can look at the defensive end and and kind of it's easier to understand whereas in hockey people we're going through this right now with the whole eric carlson versus drew dowdy debate for the norris where people can't seem to get it through their head that uh, the two things are very intertwined and just because you're producing a lot offensively doesn't all of a sudden mean that you're sacrificing stuff on the other end of the ice or it's like it's there there aren't mutually exclusive things right like if you have the puck that means the other team doesn't and that's a good thing but it's like it's still so tough to actually kind of properly weigh those things and be like how how good defensively is this guy because generally uh a lot of it is probably the fact that he's really good offensively and it just doesn't really matter how he how he plays on his own end yeah i think that two things there first i mean you know basketball is inherently a your turn my turn thing and so that makes you know, splitting the possessions up easier. At the same time, though, I think that by f- uh, focusing just on possessions, and this is why I think it's interesting for me to look at, you know, the, the, specifically hockey and soccer, is that, you know, the, the, the way a possession on one end ends mm-hmm. is has a great deal of effect on how, on, on what happens on the, the, the possession on the other end. Right. So, I mean, you know, I guess an example would be, and I, you know, I, I kind of have to use a specific example here, so sorry. But, uh, you know, I mean, James Harden, you know, uh, is, is sort of legendary, legendarily, like, you know, effort on defense waxes and wanes. Mm-hmm. Uh, this year it's been more waned. But um, at the same time, he gets to the free throw line a ton. And getting to the free throw line is actually one of the best things you can do for your defense. Right. So while he may not be a great quote defensive player, the fact that he is uh, forcing the other team to, you know, use so many of their possessions in these sort of half court against set defense situations, because there's just been a free throw shot um, that actually has defensive value. Mm-hmm. And so that's something that that can maybe get lost if you're just like, all right, here's a possession, here's a possession, here's a possession, and kind of, you know, skip that uh, 
that 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 little bit in the middle, almost like in you know in, in American football, like special teams. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's huge changes of yardage that kind of affect what happens next. Yes. Well, so we should talk a little bit. I mean, you mentioned it earlier how you wrote about hockey. It was more so like a, a few paragraphs and an overall overarching story about basketball. But yeah. it was about the Oilers, and and I imagine it wasn't received well in the hockey community. Is that fair to say? Uh, <laughs> um, I, I definitely got some pushback, though. I'm going to throw him under the bus. I got, I, I, I consulted with with Eric on that, and mm. uh, <laughs> and and we actually, and we we had a conversation about it at Sloan. He's like, no, I I would stand by what you wrote there, and you know, um, I think that the uh, the nobody would do that pushback that I got as actually strikes me as as. Um, uh, foolhardy i think mm. um there's all kinds of things that in retrospect i can't believe anyone tried that 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 teams have done in various sports and so that's obviously stupid no one would do that isn't actually a great argument for it not happening you know right. it uh so and it um it makes sense to me that you know cha- okay if you're talking about incentives all right uh you know if the the goal of the game is to score, yes. right? But you don't tell it. You don't tell your players to go score. Mm-hmm. You well, you probably uh, should. <laughs> well, no, I mean, but that's as uh, you know, obviously yes. go score. Yeah, okay, it's implied. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. Um, and if you're, but if you're telling me that, okay, if we shoot more than the opposition, we'll score more. Um, well, if when it comes down to I'm on the ice, or you know, it, I'm making a decision, should I shoot or pass here? It's like, well. Shot equals good. Yes. Um, that's, you know, it, may, it might not be a huge effect, but for some players on the margins, that's going to affect that decision uh, in situations where presumably um, a more neutral uh, analysis would like actually, you know, hanging onto the puck, looking for something better, whatever, could be uh, a better choice. Right. Now that, you know, that, that's an, probably an empirical question. But on the theoretical level, I I don't see why that's that's ridiculous to think that giving that that um, incentive to saying yes, shot good, therefore shoot, um, could lead to some kind of uh, unintended you know consequences in terms of uh, I'm going to use another dirty word you know shot quality. Mm. Yes. Well, it's kind of just like ironic to me a little bit, I guess, because uh, I didn't personally play hockey growing up, but I know that like from a very young age, you're sort of taught to to get as many pucks on on net as you can, right? Like even this has been going on for years and years, even before anyone really even kind of thought about or quantified Corsi, for example. Like people, people were just saying like you want to get as many pucks on as on net as you can, and that's why it's always funny to me when certain contingents of fans push back against uh possession stats because like all this stuff is very intuitive and it's all built in into into the sort of inherent nature of hockey and i think people are just sort of don't like it when it kind of goes against either their team or their or their favorite players or or i don't know what it is but it, it like none of the, none of this stuff is anything that anyone that's even followed hockey for any period of time or thought about it critically would actually have any reason to argue with it against Sure. I, I, so I did play hockey growing up. I'm, I'm from, I'm from Alaska. There you go. So, you played the game. So, yeah. So, uh, the, 
um, but you know, you you like get pucks on net, but at the same time, there's also like, what are you doing shooting from there? Right. You know, you <laughs> you know, you're you're against the boards. You know, on on the you know on the goal line, like you. you you're never going to score from there. What are you doing? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, you know, it's the kind of thing where there's competing aphorisms a little bit. Yep. Um, and as to your other point, it's funny. It's not just, it's not, it's every sport. You know, I, I like to say that, uh, that, that everyone uh, is a big fan of analytics and basketball until they say something bad about uh, your, your favorite team or player. And we like, it's funny. Um, I interact a lot with Minnesota Timberwolves fans and, you know, they're always mad at their team for playing kind of a very old fashioned kind of not shoot threes kind of, kind of game. And I agree with that, but at the same time when, you know, there's, there's metrics that come out that says like Andrew Wiggins hasn't been that good his first couple of years. Cause he hasn't been that good his first couple of years. Mm-hmm. They get all mad and say, ah, stuff is garbage. Wow. Uh, well, it's, it's it's always amusing, right? Because like, yeah, pe- people, the same people that are saying like, "Oh, your numbers are stupid," like, like you don't even know what you're talking about. Like, it's all this intangible stuff. Will instantly tell you all about block shots totals and hits and penalty yeah. minutes and all this stuff. And it's like those are also numbers, just less predictive, meaningful ones. Like, you really need to pick your sides here. Like, if you're gonna go full out on the intangible approach, not that I I would ever recommend that, but if you are, then like at least stick to your guns and and don't use other less important numbers as your argument yeah and and the other thing is is you know part of part of what we're we're doing broadly in in you know sports analytics is um recognizing that there are these quote intangibles you know what things that we're not measuring currently and we like to make them measurable to to the extent possible Mm -hmm. you know and some of that is is you know uh psychological makeup and and stuff like that. I mean, I don't think anyone who's ever played or, or followed sports really closely would think that stuff like, you know, personality and, and drive and, and some of those things don't, don't have effects and they're hard to measure though. Presumably the better your stats are, you can start to see the, uh, the, the, you know, the, the outputs, like right. if you have those things, you play better. Mm-hmm. Because that that's otherwise why do they matter? Right. Um, but trying to make the the kind of the the realm of the intangible smaller is what we're trying to do here. Yes. Not to, because those things are valuable. Because you want to be able to identify them more systematically and there and you know be better at getting them on your team. Yes. So, well, I mean, it just seems disingenuous for us to sit here and go, like, the reason this team or this player is playing really well because they like each other, right? Like, I'm sure that that plays a role, but we don't know how much, and it's sort of a the whole chicken or egg thing where, you know, why you know, they'll I'm sure they'll like each other a lot more if they wind up playing better, right? Like, <laughs> like do they like each other because they're playing well, or are they playing well because they like each other? Like, it's impossible to differentiate those two things. Yeah, it's it's easy for everyone to get along when yeah. when when, when stuff is going well. Right. Like you know, you if a if a good team has kind of a a locker room blow up when they're you know when they're playing badly in a game, yeah. it's like that's just they just want to win and they're yeah, that's focused. character building. Yeah, yeah, coming together. Where if it's a bad yeah. team, it's like this oh, is a problem. Yeah, and you know there might be something to that, but mm. at the same time, it's it's like you know the way you respond to those stimuli very much depends on the environment. And if you're on a winning team, the environment is, you know, just naturally people are, people are happier to be at work. So they're, you know, 
it's not a it's it's not a personal it, you suck for doing this it's a it's a you know we should be better because we're better than this and everyone's yeah because everyone feels good where you know on a bad team it it goes the other way so i guess that's a long-winded way of agreeing with you yes <laughs> um is there i don't know do you have any other questions for me while while we're while we're chatting here about hockey uh i don't know i think that, that the, the main one i had is is just kind of how you know if a uh, how much a guy's, you know, uh, kind of rate stats or, or Corsi stats type, type things are are predictably transferable from team to team. Yeah. Um, and well, I, then, think, I think there's sorry to cut you off, but I think there are certain. Now that I've been thinking about it, like there are certain indicators, right? Like there's guys you want to kind of target and get them for a below value if you see certain things in them in, in, in their data in their statistical resume, right? Like I think that. Uh, a, a guy that is a good possession player will generally translate that to cer- other circumstances, obviously within like a certain range. Like I, I think if you go into the worst situation possible where you're just playing with players way beneath your, your, your talent level, like there's only so much you can really do and they'll probably drag you down. But at the end of the day, like it, it doesn't necessarily mean that we should just be like, Oh, well, this is all completely random. We have no idea what's going to happen. Like you still need to kind of uh, think about it on a case by case basis. Sure. The other, and the other question I have is that it, it seems like uh, aside from kind of shot quality one of the more mm. contentious debates that you guys seem to, to you guys and girls mm. I, sh- I should yes. be inclusive here because yeah. there are some women who do excellent hockey stuff um, obviously um, which is incidentally uh, something that basketball definitely needs to get better at um, both in terms of application to the women's game and kind of getting more voices uh, from a, a broader range of it's, it's something that I know you couldn't make it to Sloan this year but it yeah. just was really just jarring to me how white guy it was yeah and i'd been before and I, for some reason i just noticed it even more this year trust me um, hockey's like that i mean i think every sport is like that honestly yeah unfortunately but it's it, it's even it was even like more than you'd expect though yeah. mm-hmm. um but all that preamble aside um kind of you know the defensive play and specifically play of defensemen mm-hmm. um it seems to be almost nowhere with it is that uh, yeah it's 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 tough because there it's it's you can't just like look at a guy's uh point totals unless it's obviously on the extremes like we can look at eric carlson and be like yeah that guy's probably pretty good he's a, he's a top 10 score he's a point a game like he must be doing something right but for a lot of guys there's uh like a chris tana for example where he doesn't really based on any of the traditional metrics like he doesn't have a lot of points he doesn't block a lot of shots he doesn't throw a lot of hits like he like you would never know just by looking at his uh box scores and his box score numbers that he's a really impactful player but he just always has that that quote-unquote hockey sense where he's always in the right place at the right time he's uh, always breaking up plays he's always kind of quarterbacking his team and starting the attack going the other way out of his own zone and that's where we sort of for defensemen particularly we need to really break it down by the three zones and kind of look at the actual um, specific events that happen that result in all these plays because it's impossible to kind of just like take a step back and look at the overall big picture and know with these some of these 
guys. And that's the next frontier we really need to conquer that. And obviously goaltending because it just seems like such a mystery still. But, um, you know, you're definitely right in that assessment where we have a long way to go because other than the obvious names, it's, it's really hit or miss. And so is, is the kind of the, those kind of where you are on the ice type stuff. Is that why, you know, uh, uh, possession statistics don't work as well just because the, 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 like, you know, we've been saying the context is just so different, mm-hmm. uh, for, for defensemen and not necessarily, um, for something they're driving or I, like, I, I guess on a conceptual level, I, I don't totally understand why it doesn't work for, for defensemen. Well, it it does. I mean, you still want to look at the shot suppression numbers, for example, and that can tell you a lot. Like like a guy that I love that that plays in Anaheim, Hampus Lindholm. He he's also sort of like Chris Tanev in that regard, where none of his numbers are really eye popping, but uh, he's just he's so good at suppressing shots whenever he's on the ice. The other team can't really get anything going offensively when he's out there, and it obviously speaks to the fact that like he's just a really really good defender where i don't know if it's a positional thing or 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 what but he's clearly doing something right sure and that's i think stuff like that is a lot of uh what kind of more tracking data mm-hmm. will will really help you develop a a kind of a you know if you can actually identify with some degree of of uh of accuracy like what a a shooting chance would be like okay a player receives the puck in these circumstances um you know that 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 that's a circumstance where you know 75% of the time that's going to result in the shot and then all right if this guy is the closest defender the guy shoots 55% of the time and that's probably massively more than the effect would be but that would tell you something right it will for sure but yeah. you keep in mind this kind of circles back to what we were saying earlier where the first couple of years of when we eventually do get that data there's going to be so much misapplication of it where people are instead of looking at it as sort of kind of we need to test it out and, and see how valid this information actually is it's going to be a whole lot of oh well the tracking data said this so this must be right and then all of a sudden there's going to be so so much miscalculation and sort of um, people thinking that certain players are really good or aren't good based on solely that and it's going to wind up not really being the case over time so I, I kind of want to preach patience there and also caution just because we need to be a little bit careful with the whole uh, descriptive versus predictive components of it and this is actually uh, getting back to, to your question about like you know the the, the NBA environment mm-hmm. this is a, a kind of a key dichotomy and I think again a problem with with just being top down like like you are now is i think that the teams that are are being smart with it aren't going to care so much about who is good right. they're going to say what is because that's that's you know the, um if you talk to someone like uh, like Ben Alomar who runs uh, ESPN stats and info mm-hmm. who's also worked for for multiple nba teams um he'll he'll tell you that and dean oliver as well same thing will tell you that like the biggest difference between kind of media side and team side is uh you know media side you care about rankings who's best Mm -hmm. yes team side you don't care about that really like you know it's a that's a you know shooting the bull in the office maybe but you don't like in terms of like devoting resources to like you don't care about that. Well, I mean, so, also like the, the the whole Norris thing, right? Like, it's like it's yeah. the main topic of discussion right now in the hockey world, and it's like, yeah. what practical relevance does distinguishing whether Eric Carlson or Drew Doughty is better actually have? Like, are are the Senators and Kings gonna 
make a trade involving these two players based right. on a determination of who's more valuable. Like it, it's never gonna. It's not. It's a fun thing to sort of kind of quibble about and 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 people love lists, right? Like if you right. list something, like well, it, it's just so easy to kind of everyone can understand that. But uh, no, you're right. It, it, you're you're gonna look more on the margins and also understanding that good players come in various shapes and sizes and forms and it doesn't really matter how like how you're getting there as long as you are and and once you can figure that out that's that's sort of the key to building a team sure and and but my my uh, my point with that distinction is that i think that you'll be able to to f- pull out some of these you know these 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 events mm-hmm. These, right. you know, the the kind of, you know, you know, we have in in basketball, we have, you know, the field goal attempts and rebounds and assists and stuff like that, and you know, obviously you have goals and shots and and, and assists and stuff, but uh, getting a little more finely tuned than that, you'll be able to pull those out of of tracking data. I think faster than you would think, and yeah. then that, you know, it won't be perfect, but you'll at least kind of, you know, applying hockey knowledge to the data right you'll be able to pull these situations out relatively quickly i think i think you could like my guess is someone who who knew what they were doing and possibly had some experience like working with with tracking data previously would probably be able to 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 pull some of this stuff out in you know on half a season's data if they had the whole league right um and then you that really starts you can you can develop some of these these ideas uh about you know whether it's shot suppression or you know ideal passing angles mm-hmm. or or you know even you know understanding what are you know impactful passes and what aren't and 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 things like that i mean right. and you know this is all speculative on my part about what the the actual events would be but i don't i think that you would be surprised at how quickly you could kind of identify some of these things yeah i hope you're right i mean anything to kind of further discussion and get get us towards that end goal i guess there there is no real we're we're always going to keep kind of learning and finding new things right there is no end goal per se but just sort of uh refining the the language with which we kind of evaluate this stuff would uh would go a long way and i think that that language is is the right word to use because i think um a problem that you know this is the, every year at Sloan. It's the how do we communicate is the is the topic and language is a big problem because you know since it's so much of the stuff has been developed kind of from the stat side rather than from the sport side. It's in these terms that it's like all right, I'm I'm interested in what you have to say. I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> um, well, okay, I, I'm curious because the, on that sort of same vein of, of language. The, something people really struggle with in terms of both from, from my perspective, relating, relaying it to people and then people that are kind of digesting that information and accepting it is the idea of luck in hockey, right? Where it's, it's, if you say someone's been lucky because they have a really high shooting percentage or their goalie saving an inordinately high number of shots when he's on the ice and that won't continue, you're really saying that these are particular skills that are sort of boosting this person's performance that they don't necessarily have control over in terms of kind of doing repeatable skills over time. Right. I'm wondering in basketball, like is there sort of that issue still going on or are there just fewer things that are, can kind of um, get mixed up in that regard? Oh no, it's, it's a huge issue. I mean, there's my, one of my favorite expressions is the NBA is a make or miss league. Right. Um, You know, 
a lot of a lot of bad process can be cured by shot making in the short term, and a mm-hmm. lot of good process can be undone by by missing shots. Right. And you know, obviously, you know, again, we'll go specific, but this is going to be public consciousness enough that everyone will know what I'm talking about. Like Steph Curry, his shot making at this point, you can say, all right, it's not just make or miss league. He's just like, this is massively skillful beyond what anyone else can do. Right. Um, whereas other guys in the short term, and I think that that affects all kinds of kind of uh, numbers down the road from, you know, plus minus and lineup based numbers, because, um, you know, one of the, the, the big things is still like quantifying individual defense is we're, we're nowhere in basketball still. Mm-hmm. Um, and a stat that drives me crazy when people cite it is like opponent field goal percentage against, which, you know, if a guy who's wide open hits 40% of his three pointers uh, and you've been the closest guy to like 200 three points attempts, how comfortable like knowing that, that he's going to miss more than he makes no matter what, how comfortable are you saying that, well, he only hit, you know, 33% when, when I was close to him, but this other guy was 42%. Therefore I'm better at this, at, at contesting shots based on this, you know, tiny sample size, uh, where we know nothing else about anything. Um, and that's, so the amount of, of statistical noise that's still involved, um, is, um, not, really commonly understood yeah. st- or internalized still. Right. Um, so yeah, you can be lucky for, you know, the, the, the long term takes a long time to get there. Yes. Well, um, I mean, ultimately, uh, not to use this, this tired cliche, but there's a reason they play the games. Right. And it's like, right. you can, you can figure everything out. And then all of a sudden this game is just randomly going to happen. And it's like, Oh, everything we thought was going to happen just completely got turned on its head. And no one really could have predicted that. And that doesn't necessarily mean that your thought process heading into that game was incorrect. It just means that there's a lot of variance and volatility in sports and sometimes crazy stuff happens and you sort of need to accept that uncertainty. Yeah, no, and, and that's the, the, I mean, it, it, it's not kind of from a formal standpoint, none of it is actually random, but from the perspective of our understanding, plenty of, of the way that, you know, these, these 12 guys on the ice or these 10 guys on the court are going to interact in the short term is going to, you know, reflect a high degree of kind of ra- of randomness of of you know collisions that we're, we're not sure exactly what's going to happen going in um but if you with some intelligent application of stuff you know you can if you change the coin flip from 50-50 to 55-45 you know flip the coin enough times what happens right. and that's and th- there's you're never going to be able to legislate that all out of the game. I mean, it's not yeah. it's not chess. Wait, you, I mean, you you wouldn't want to, right? Like, if you knew yeah. exactly what was going to happen, why would anyone really watch? You just like simulate it on your computer. Like, it's like right. it sort of defeats the purpose of it. Right. So that it's never going to be solved completely because there's always going to be the randomness. Um, you know, worst team. You know, the Celtics beat the Warriors last night. Yes. Um, uh, and you know, some of that was the Celtics played well. Some of it was the Warriors played less well. And some of it was Steph Curry missed a pretty open three with four seconds left. That would have sent the game to overtime. And you know, it's so that happened. Um, and you move on. Yes. 
Yeah. Okay. Well, now you're you're really getting into specific basketball examples. So I'm gonna have to <laughs> cut sorry. you off, and and, and we're uh, we're gonna end the show. <laughs> no, but honestly, though, Seth, it was it was a lot of fun. It was good chatting with you, man. It's always kind of it's, it, I I like talking to you about this stuff because you provide a sort of I don't want to say an outsider's perspective because you also kind of follow hockey and and you're well versed with this stuff and you're a critical thinker. So you're not an outsider per se, but maybe you're kind of viewing it from a different lens than I am. Cause I'm just so kind of focused and diving into it on a daily basis that it's kind of refreshing to, to hear kind of criticisms of what's going on and also uh, things you think are going, going the right way. So uh, it was a good chat. No, thanks for having me. This, this was fun. I, uh, I, I actually, I, I ended up talking more than I thought I would. I was actually hoping to pick your brain more, but oh, there we go. Cool. Well, maybe, <laughs> maybe, uh, maybe we'll get a basketball podcast going and then I'll come on and, and you, and we can talk, uh, <laughs> t- talk about hockey on there and I'll give a bunch of, uh, random examples from what happened in yesterday's games. And you, uh, and you know, you've, you've sat close to courtside at a Warriors game this year and I, I haven't. Yes. So, yes. you know, mild jealousy. Yeah. I used my eye test to really figure out what was going on in that game. And, and I can, I can confirm that, uh, Stephen Curry is pretty good. Yeah. He's, he's not bad. Yeah. Okay, man. <laughs> uh, it was a lot of fun and we'll, we'll chat soon. Okay. All right. Talk to you later. The hockey PDO cast with Dmitry Filipovich. Follow on Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey PDO cast.